Father in heaven, I come before you thanking you so much for the opportunity to share. I thank you so much that you've given me an experience, a story, a song. And today I get to share a little bit of what you've done in my life and some of the principles I've learned. Oh Lord, I don't want any glory for what you've done. I want it all to go to you. So today before we begin, I ask that Jesus Christ would be lifted up and that we would be careful fixing our mind on secular things when we talk about secular case studies. I pray that uh, you would be at the very center of our mind and that we would try to learn these principles so that we can increase your kingdom, not really increase our pocketbook. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, um, what is a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset? We'll be talking about those things. And innovation. And a growth in a fixed mindset has a lot to do with your emotional intelligence as well. Many of you have heard of IQ, but only in the most recent years have they talked about EQ, which is emotional intelligence. And many individuals have, I should, shouldn't say many, I should say researchers, have done surveys and they have found out that your net worth and how far you go in life does not really depend so much upon your IQ, it's more about your EQ. And in order for you to have a strong EQ, you got to have a growth mindset. So we're going to be talking about that. Then I'm going to be shifting into innovation and how that is the key force. That if you have a growth mindset, that gives you the ability to innovate. And EQ, growth mindset, and innovation are the two necessary ingredients to succeed. Now, I'm going to bring up a quote on the screen, and I want you to think about this quote. It actually took me a little while to get this quote down. So it takes some thinking. I'm warning you before you get this quote down. So here is the quote, all right? A man is not what he thinks he is, but what he thinks he is. Did you get that? I want you to think about that. I read that through and I'm like, wait, wait, I think I understand. Let me, let me uh, really understand this, digest it. So many of us, you have thoughts about who you are. And you think, okay, well, I'm only as good as what I think I am. But this quote is actually saying, no, the thoughts that consume your life, the daily thoughts about others, about God, about family, that's who you really are. That's the reason why we should be very, very careful about the thoughts that we have in our head, the thoughts that we think. For those of us who struggle with negative thoughts, for those who struggle with maybe thoughts about others, and maybe you're that type of person, or maybe you've met that type of person where you know, someone says something and all they do is they downward spiral and they think about it. And it could be something like, hey, I need to talk to you later on today. And in your head, it's now a downward spiral. Oh no, I'm in trouble. Oh no, I'm going to get fired. Oh no, this is, and this is happening, right? Those type of the things, those are the things that I'm, I'm trying to uh, make my point in terms of those, those daily, constant, minute by minute, second by second thoughts, that makes up your character. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to actually show you an Ellen White quote later on that she confirms these things. Of course, you know this one very well. By the wisest man in the world of all time, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he, right? Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7. If you, those, the things that you think in your heart, that's who you are. That's all it is. 
And then I love this one. I, in fact, it translates better from a modern translation. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Probably one of my favorite verses on the mind. Be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Very modern translation. Very loosely translated, but the idea is good. Be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Now, the Bible talks about this idea, about the thoughts that we have, and this in turn affects if we have a growth or a fixed mindset. Now, what is a growth or a fixed mindset? A fixed mindset is my abilities are fixed. In other words, you believe the way that you're born, that's, that's it. Can't get better than that. Oh, I was born a dummy, so I'll always be a dummy. If you compare yourself to others, if, if you say, I'm either good at it or I'm not. If you try something and you're not good right away, I'm like, oh, I just know myself. If I try it and I'm not good right away, I just know that's not for me. If you have those type of thoughts, that's more of a fixed mindset. A growth, a growth mindset is the type of person who has the thoughts, I can do hard things. I will do my best. I will try new things. I focus on improvement. I learn from my mistakes. That's someone who has more of a growth mindset. We're going to be going in detail into some of these things. A fixed mindset is intelligence is something you have or you don't have. Oh, I just know I was born into a bad home. My parents aren't smart, so thus I'm not smart. Or if you think, oh, I'm born into a good home. My parents are doctors, thus I'm smart, or thus I'm good. That's also a fixed mindset. A growth mindset, you believe that intelligence is something you were able to develop. So you have to think about it. Do you believe that something can be developed? What is a fixed versus a growth mindset? Here you have more characteristics. In a fixed mindset, you avoid taking on challenges. So do you like the easy way or do you like the hard way? Do you do something so that you can learn or you just want the accomplishment at the very end? Avoid taking on challenges. A growth mindset will embrace any challenge. A fixed mindset, you quit or you easily give up. A growth mindset, you never give up. A fixed mindset, you're highly self-critical. A growth mindset is you practice self-compassion. You understand, just, hey, I did my best, I leave it all with the rest to God. A fixed mindset, you see effort as pointless. Some of you are like, well, I tried and I didn't get it, so it's pointless. I didn't get the A, I didn't get into med school, it was pointless. A growth mindset, you see the effort as a journey. A fixed mindset, you disregard criticism. Someone criticizes you and you just brush it off and say, well, they didn't know anyways, or you know, they didn't understand the backstory. They didn't understand what I had to go through. Someone with a growth mindset, they learn from all criticism, whether it's valid or not valid. A fixed mindset resents the success of others. A growth mindset is inspired by other success. A fixed mindset criticizes and judges others. A growth mindset helps and nurtures others. A fixed mindset argues for our limitations. And a growth mindset believes in possibilities. In my mind, if you're a Christian by default and you believe that the Bible is God's inspired word and you believe that Philippians 4.13 really is inspired by God, which says, I can do all things through Christ. What kind of mindset should we have? By default, we should have a growth mindset, right? 
Now, this is actually something I had to learn. Part of it, I think, is when you're born, maybe just as my journey, into an Asian household. You, in my mind, our culture, sometimes our cultures, they, they also they shape who we are. And in our culture, it's, it's almost like, oh, you were born smart. This person is born smart. And so I had to unlearn a lot of things in my own culture. I thought, okay, I'm just born this way or I'm not born this way. This person's born as first-chair violinist. And I'm born as someone who's better at sports. I didn't understand this idea that you can actually improve, you can grow, you can get better. A mindset is a simple idea discovered by world-renowned Stanford University psychologist Carol Dweck. So she's the one credited with the phrase mindset. She did decades of research on achievement and success, and she found out that a simple idea makes all the difference. Carol Dweck found that raw talent and aptitude have relatively little to do with how far children will journey in life when they become adults. In fact, she studied this. By the way, if any of you want the PowerPoint, I'm more than happy to give it. I have no copyright, just a right to copy. So if you want it, you can have it, okay? Through a series of studies, Carol found out she was surprised to find a certain subset of children who not only were able to tolerate failure, not even simply to cope with it, but actually relish it. On one occasion, she gave children a series of nearly impossible puzzles. Many were frustrated, some gave up, some labored grimly, but a few had a completely different response. So as she looked at these individuals, these kids in maybe kindergarten, and instead of shying away from things that are challenging, they embraced it. Now, if you think about that, that's pretty renowned for children. Most of you have spent time with children, and you understand when a children sees something that they can't do, they usually easily quit. It's too hard, right? That's usually what happens with children. But she found a remarkable group of children that were inspired by things that they couldn't figure out, puzzles. And so it led, them, led her to a journey of studying these individuals for 20 years. So this isn't just some overnight one-year test. This is a test that she did over the course of many years, decades of research. One of the boys, a 10-year-old, who was confronted with one of the nearly most impossible puzzles, looked up with a smile on his face and said, you know, I was hoping this would be informative. Another rubbed his hands and cried out, I love a challenge. They had no idea that they were expanding their neuroplasticity in their mind. Now, what's wrong with them? Carol Dweck found herself asking. This led her on a 20-year journey that produced remarkable findings. How people respond to challenges and failure depends not on their failure, but on their mindset. Over 20 years, she tracked these individuals who enjoyed challenges from a kid, and she found that these were the ones that were most successful. Not the ones with the highest IQ. Now, this is important to understand because we live in a day and age when parents... Now, this is a news article. I, I, so, I'm a, I'm a teacher, so I have a lot of parents, and they come to us, and they ask certain things and privileges for their kids. Now, 10 years ago, we were dealing with helicopter parents. You know what those are, right? They rove around. Well... I read on Newsweek or Time Magazine, I think it was just a couple weeks ago, that now we're dealing with not helicopter parents, snowplow parents that will bulldoze you down so that their children can have their own way. A couple of months ago, 
Souls West was doing a blitz in Arizona at the largest church, the Camelback Seventh-day Adventist Church, and they have a really good ministry. The pastor set it up where the assistant director of Arizona State University, which is the largest university in the United States of America, Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona, they had the assistant director for the, for the entire athletic program. So this is, you know, they're the Sun Devils. And he came in and he gave a remarkable presentation. This was on a Sunday. They had a nice breakfast. And he's a Christian as well. But one thing that he told us that I had never forgot is he said that even in a secular setting, they're dealing with parents as the primary problem for these athletes. What happens, the parents come in and they say, you know, my, my son is really gifted. And of course, you know, the coaches, they want to have them earn their playing time. And the, the parents come in, they say, wait, my kid's not starting? And of course, the coaches say, well, they got to earn their playing time. They're also a freshman. There's, you know, the sophomores, juniors, and seniors that kind of are ahead of them. Well, you don't understand. My son was All-American. He should be starting. And if the coaches don't appease the parents, and make them starters, they threaten and often will move their kids to another school. That's how bad it is nowadays. So this is something that we're not just dealing with in elementary schools. Parents are getting involved on a college level now and are basically threatening athletic directors of major universities saying, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like the playing time. I don't like this. You're not coaching my kid right. And they basically will move them. And you know, I'm not one who gets into things or in news, but I think that many of you, if, you, if you've watched or looked at sporting news, will know the, the Ball family. LeVar Ball he has his son Lonzo Ball, who's an athlete in the NBA. And, and same thing, similar thing. It was like, my sons are going to be big, and they were at UCLA. He didn't like their playing time. He said, forget you. We're moving them overseas. He didn't like the coach. He said, I'm going to be the coach. We all laugh, and we think that that's hilarious. At least for me, I was like, what kind of dad is doing this? But it's something that athletic directors are seeing, that parents are coming in, and they're not letting their kids go through challenges. That, in turn, is hindering kids, right? This right here is, for those of you who are brainiacs, did you know, now this is fascinating, this is remarkable, that there are more possibilities for neurological pathways. Now, what's a neurological pathway? A thought and a behavior becomes a neurological pathway in your mind. Did you know that there are more neurological pathways in your mind than neurons in the universe? atoms in the universe, I should say. More neurological pathways in your mind than atoms in the universe. That is remarkable. That's how amazing your brain is. In fact, neurologists, they say that we barely know maybe one or two percent of the brain, of what it can do, of its functions, of its possibilities. It is by far the most mysterious organ that we have. Now, I like to show this because now we can get to the spiritual mindset, we understand something simple. I like to say that imagine that your brain is a field. So you have a field, and those of you who have ever been to the bush, those of you who have ever been to a place where there is no clear pathway, it's hard to create a pathway. If you've ever hiked somewhere and you didn't go to the trailhead and you just said, well, I'm going to make my own trail, you'll find that it's quite difficult. Well, what happens is in your mind, think of it as a blank state, as a field, and the thoughts that you produce 
lead to your actions, your actions lead to habits, your habits lead to a lifestyle, your lifestyle leads to a destiny, and this is formed by the neurological pathways that you establish in your mind. And that's why it's important that you are careful about the things that you think, because it all starts with your thought. Listen to this quote from the Pen of Inspiration. It is not through one act that the character is formed, but by repetition of acts that habits are established and character is confirmed. So it's not just through one thing. If you have one thought, by God's grace, you can overcome. If you have an action, you can still overcome. Mrs. White talks about it's not one act, but it's a repetition of these acts and habits that are established and character is confirmed. And that's why we got to be careful about the things that you think, the actions that you end up doing, because that in turn confirms your character. And your character is what confirms your destiny. Now, I want to give you a good quote. Maybe some of you here are like, well, you don't understand. I've lived many years. I have terrible habits. I didn't have right thoughts. And recently, I've found the Lord. And so can I have victory over those things that over years I've developed in my mind? The beautiful thing is Joel chapter 3. We can restore what the locusts have eaten, right? And I love what this quote says, Desire of Ages, page 650. Christ, in the fullness of His grace, is there to change the current of the thoughts. Amen? Amen. So for those of you who are like, I have bad thoughts. Those of you who maybe you scored a, a horrible score on this quiz and say, I have a fixed mindset. Christ can make up the difference. Christ in the fullness of his grace is there to change the current of the thoughts that have been running in selfish channels. For those of you who think that you can't overcome. Maybe for those of you who've been addicted to something for many years, the beautiful thing about Christ is He can break those selfish habits. He can break those selfish channels. Now, we understand that we see fixed and growth mindsets in the Bible. Can anyone give me a Bible story where we see a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset? Anyone can, can tell me. A growth mindset versus fixed. There's, there's one that I can think of that is just so clear, but anyone can think of a fixed growth mindset in the Bible? It's part Saul and David. Okay? Saul and David. Uh, what, what was Saul's fixed? Okay, so Saul and David, in regards to authority, anyone else? That's the one I was thinking of too. That's a case study one. The ten spies, Canaan, right? Who, what did they think? Yeah, we can't conquer this. We can't, we're like, what, grasshoppers, right? And then we have the two spies, Caleb and Joshua, and what do they think? We can. we can. Let's do it at once. In fact, Caleb, he gets up and shouts and says, let's do it at once. In fact, I believe that he knew the fixed mindsets of the other ten spies, and he was like, I, I don't want even for them to hear it. He gets up, shouts, let's go right now. Of course, the ten pipe up and change the course of history. So yes, there is the Caleb and Joshua. Um, what about the Pharisees? Pharisees, fixed mindset as well, versus Jesus, right? Uh, we have the disciples. Many of them had some fixed mindsets in regards to the kingdom. In a fixed mindset, you want to hide your flaws so that you're not judged or you're labeled as a failure. So for those of you, you, you want to hide things and you don't want people to see you know, some of the failures in your life or you don't want to get counseling. You have a fixed mindset. In a growth mindset... Your flaws are just a to-do list of things to improve. That's it. I like that. It's like, I have a bunch of flaws, but that's just my to-do list because I'm going to improve on them. In a fixed mindset, 
you stick with what you know to keep your confidence. It's like, well, I, I know this, I'm an expert in this, so I just want to do this. And so, yeah, because I want to look good in front of others. Fixed mindset, you care a lot what people think. In a growth mindset, you keep up your confidence by always pushing into the unfamiliar to make sure you're always learning. In other words, you don't care so much what people think. You're like, let me go to another area. I want to learn something new. It's a growth mindset. Pushing yourself in unfamiliar territory. In a fixed mindset, you look inside yourself to find your true passion and purpose as if this is a hidden, inherent thing. And that's the problem with, I think, some millennials. They go from job to job and they're like, well, I need to dig inside of what really makes me happy. In a growth mindset, you commit to mastering valuable skills regardless of mood. Knowing passion and purpose comes from doing great work, which comes from expertise and experience. So what if you don't like what you're doing? Learn how to like it. Learn how to master it. Learn how you can still be a difference. In a fixed mindset, failure defines you. In a growth mindset, failure is simply a temporary setback. In a fixed mindset, you believe, you believe if you're romantically compatible with someone, you should share all of each other's views and everything should just come naturally. And I was just talking to this the other day. I have, uh, I'm happily married, so I'm thankful. You know, I'm happily married to my wife, and we both know that we can grow. We both have gone through, through counseling. We both have said, you know, these are some good tips, good skills for us to learn. And we tell people, we said, yeah, we are Christians. We follow the Bible. We've read Adventist Home. But sometimes we think if we read Adventist Home, if we've read yet Letters Young Lovers, that there, it, we can't grow from there. That's a fixed mindset versus, oh, I'm here to grow. I'm here to learn. And, you know, when we did counseling, I learned better ways of how to communicate. I learned how, wow, if I say things this way, my wife will understand better. In a growth mindset, yeah, that's a big woohoo. In a growth mindset, you believe a lasting relationship comes from effort and working through inevitable differences. In a growth mindset, you believe a lasting relationship comes from effort and working through inevitable differences. Some people, they're just like, oh, we're just not compatible. I married this person. Now, obviously, when you were dating and you're in courtship, you can find things and say, you know, there's just a lot of things that we don't have in common. I'm specifically talking about especially if you're married now. If you're married, you've committed yourself. There is no back door. There is no way out. And the only way up is to have a growth mindset. In a fixed mindset, it's all about the outcome. If you fail, you think all effort was wasted. That's what we think. Oh, I failed. Oh, that didn't work out. Oh, I dated someone and it didn't work out. I'm a failure. That was a waste of time. No, 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 no. In a growth mindset, you realize valuable lessons from even experiences where you were hurt, experiences where you even failed. Now, how to switch from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset? That's probably the most important thing. What if we have a fixed mindset? How can we grow it? Well, number one, I believe that confidence in Christ, confidence in the Bible. So, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7 and 9, the Bible addresses these ideas of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. According to this verse, let the wicked forsake their ways. Let them forsake their ways. Let them forsake their fixed thoughts. My thoughts, then your thoughts. 
is Isaiah 55 verse 9. In other words, whatever thoughts you have about yourself, those fixed mindsets, lean on the promises of Christ that his thoughts are better than your thoughts. If Christ says something in Scripture, do you have faith that it will come true? Do you have faith that those promises were meant for you? You know, this is off the topic, but I think that it's powerful. I read something real recently from the Desire of Ages. I used to think that when I read Bible promises that it was like, oh, well, that was for the disciples, or that was for this specific group of people, or those were for the Israelites. And I read something powerful. If you haven't done this, go and do this. There is, there is a story, specifically I believe in the Desire of Ages, and it's when Jesus was baptized at the, you know, by John the Baptist. I think many of you remember that story. You hear a voice from heaven that says, what? What does God say? Yes, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Now, for the longest time, I read that, and I would just, wow, that's really cool. That's kind of obvious that God would say that about Jesus. I read this quote from The Desire of Ages that changed my outlook on that story. Mrs. White says, the promise that God said to Jesus was not for him. It was for you. In other words, Jesus knew that. And so that audible voice, this is my beloved son, was for the hearers, was for everyone else to understand that the same thoughts that God has for his son is the same thoughts that he has for you. Amen. Now think about that. If God views Christ the way that he views you, that's a game changer. That should immediately change us from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. Those promises are meant for you. And then Ellen White goes on and she talks about the promises made in the scriptures were meant for everyone. God doesn't have any favorites. Doesn't play any favorites. That was tremendous. That really changed my outlook. So read that story if you want the full context of those things. Here are some other things secularly that will help you go from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. Number one, acknowledge and embrace imperfections. First step. Instead of hiding them, which is probably the Asian way, you want to now acknowledge and embrace imperfections. You have imperfections, acknowledge them. Embrace them. I know that I'm not good at this, but I'm going to embrace them and I'm going to work on them. Number two, view challenges as opportunities. View challenges as opportunities. Number three, try different learning tactics. You know, you don't have to just memorize scripture by just reading it. You can listen to it. There are apps for it. Uh, I have this one app called Scripture Memorization, or no, it's called Verses, V-E-R-S-E-S. Go on the app store if you want it, called Verses, and it starts out by like, uh, it shows it to you, then after that you fill in the blank, then after that you hear it, then after that you have to type it in, then, you know, I got real good at that. They added a new feature where now I audibly have to say it back, and it will see if I say it wrong. I was like, wow, this is crazy. I can't believe that. So that's called verses because before I would actually get them right perfect because it would happen as I would type it in because you know you could think about it for a while you could be like oh what word is that no 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 it's not the it's thou yeah that's right and so I would do that and it would take some time now you actually have to audibly say it quickly and if you mess up it will tell you it's like yeah didn't get it right and so that's called verses so there's different ways you can learn because uh, I'm one of those people who I don't have the greatest memory in the world 
I remember when I, you know, I'm a canvasser, when I was knocking, you know, they give you the canvas, and before you knock on doors, they give you the canvas, and I remember they gave it to me, and I'm like, well, you don't understand, I'm not, I'm not one of those, like, I'm a conceptual learner. And my canvassing leader said, uh, we don't care, memorize it, you have to do it under 60 seconds. I didn't know this, but when I memorized it, I'm like, wow, I could actually do that. Like, that was a, a big aha moment. I mean, it was a lot of canvases of, of all the Ellen White books, and, and, and you have to, they end up timing you. I mean, it's like, it's like hardcore. And so, you know, I remember I came into the program, they said, hey, did you memorize the canvas that we emailed you? And I was like, yeah, 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 go ahead. And I said, well, okay, don't tell me the first word. Um, Hi, my name is, and they're like, no, 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 you have to say this so well because you have to be able to memorize it. You, it has to be in your, your, your like deep memory to the point where you're like saying it in your sleep almost. Wow. And then the reason why they do that is because when you're a good, canvas, a good canvasser, when you knock on the door and you have that canvassing so well, so down. Hi, my name is Michael Mastin, working on a scholarship instead of junk food, something more lasting. When you can do that really quick, what happens is you are now praying for that person in your mind. So you're now praying for them, that God, Holy Spirit will touch them as you're spitting out the canvas and you're also reading what type of person they are and what kind of book you should have. You can't do that if you don't really know that canvas. And so now I understood the reason why. And you know, I came into the program like, oh, they'll understand. You know, I have a, I can't memorize word for word. I have more of a conceptual memory. And they're like, they don't care. You gotta memorize it all word for word. Try, try different ways to learn. Another way you can grow from fixed is stop seeking approval. Number six, value the process over the end result. Sometimes we just want the A. We don't care how we get it. Instead, you want to grow. You want to learn. In fact, one of the, one of the probably the, the coolest things I've ever seen ever done, a teacher did this. And what happened is everyone studied for the final. And it was supposed to be a really hard final. And... I, I still remember this story, it was so cool. Everyone sits down, they're all really nervous. The class is sanctuary class, by the way. Do you have the whole sanctuary class memor uh, you know, memorized? 2,300 days, can you do everything? You know, and, uh, you know, a bunch of other things. How can you, fin can you defend 1844? Can you get to October 22? I mean, like, you know, some deep stuff that many of you maybe can't do here, right? So it's just some really hard stuff, right? And the teacher says this. How many of you want to take the, the final? Or, I, I'll be understanding, some of you, I know you've probably had a lot of tests to study for, how many of you will take a B plus? You don't have to take it. Study for your other exams. Did you know that 99.999%, everyone except one person, and the teacher actually had everyone stand in the back. So if you don't want to take the test, you stand in the back. Everyone stood in the back. Only one student said, I'm going to take it. Everyone else backs against the wall. Now, he made them stand the entire time while that one student finished that exam for two hours. <laughs> now, here's the crazy part. They come back to their seats, and he said, those of you who didn't take the test, you all failed. He said, you go to an unaccredited Bible college. <laughs> Did you really want an A that bad? Instead of wanting to learn the material? You're here to learn the material. I had never forgotten that. 
just show that we care about what people think. We care about seeing an A so that we can feel good about ourselves instead of, no, I'm there to take the test regardless of how I do, no matter what. I'm there, I'm gonna take the test. If I fail, I'm gonna go down trying and I'm gonna see what I know. It was powerful to see this. There's a book for those of you who want more information about this called The Talent Code, Greatness Isn't Born. It's grown, and here's how. So some of these ideas have come from the book, The Talent Code. You could also look up uh, uh, Carol Dweck's stuff as well. And nowadays, I found this, those of you who have children or grandchildren, they have resources so that your children can have a growth mindset. Mindset Works, this is a website, empowers children to embrace a growth mindset. Uh, they have brainiology for the home. So for those of you who are like, well, I want my children to have a growth mindset, instead of, here, here's the deal, and, and I hope I don't have to have this talk with many of you. I'm sure many of you are intelligent here and spiritual, but some people we have, you, you buy maybe direct TV or maybe you buy some sort of program to have cable television. For that same amount, you can invest in the future of your kids, $50 basically a month for this type of program. Some of you are, it's expensive. Well, how much do you spend for cable or how much do you spend for Hulu or other useless things or whatever it is, Apple Music, Spotify. And instead, we should be, we should be embracing challenges and teaching our kids to have a growth mindset. After all, what does the Bible say? It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 5. Now, I'm going to switch gears here because if you have a growth mindset, that leads us to probably the next important thing that I'm going to talk about, and that is innovation. A growth mindset leads to innovation. Now, why is innovation important? Without innovation, we will die. The church will die. America as a country will die. Do you know what has kept America on the forefront, the top uh, leading nation the last you know, 100 plus years? It's because we've innovative things. Do you know that? Who came up with the automobile? Yeah, Henry Ford. He was American. How about flight? Wright Brothers, American. What about when it comes to the telephone? Yeah, the light bulb. Right. What about some things even more uh, recently that we use? The iPhone. Steve Jobs. Do you understand that we, the reason that has kept America from the forefront, some of us we think it's defense and the 50% of tax dollars plus that we spend on defense. I argue, and I heard this great presentation, that's innovation that is the great defense. If you have the ideas, if you have the great inventions, people will follow you. They'll respect you. And so that's why we constantly need to be innovating. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy because the biggest companies in the world change. You know, when I was in high school, the biggest company in the world was Microsoft. And then it became Apple. And then after that, now it's Amazon slash Google. You know, they're battling for the, 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 to be the biggest. You know, Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world. I don't know if you just saw the news, but he just got a divorce, priciest divorce in history. His wife makes a cool $30 billion. Just, being, just saying I do to this man, right? Jeff Bezos' wife, and guess what? He's still the richest man in the world. Just lost 30 billion and he's like, oh, oh, I'm still the richest. I mean, you lose 30 billion and you're still the richest man in the world? That's incredible. 
So things are changing. And let me tell you something. The spiritual world is changing as well. People perceive church differently as well. You know, one of the largest churches in America is actually right here in Louisville, Kentucky. There's a large church here. I sawed off the fruit. I remember I was, I was actually here two weeks ago staying with some... Uh, working with some canvassers and I was working with some canvassers and I get off the exit and I see this just huge mammoth structure and I'm like what is that and so me and a few friends of mine we were actually curious we drove up to this huge structure it was Sabbath afternoon you know we had just gone to First Louisville Adventist Church and we had a great experience I didn't know this by the way this is extra but Muhammad Ali's brother goes to that church and he's actually uh, he's actually married to an Adventist and so it was kind of cool to see all of these things. Anyways, that's a, that's a separate topic, but we, I just had uh, hung out with him at Fellowship Lunch, and uh, a, a colleague of mine, he was like, there's this huge mammoth structure. Let's check it out. We go there, and it turns out they're having church on Saturday. It was so huge that they had to have CH uh, uh, patrol cars. They had to hire police to come in and direct traffic. The lights just wouldn't uh, do justice. There would be just traffic jam for hours from the freeways because of the thousands of thousands of thousands of people that were going to this church. We go up to this thing and we see this huge parking lot and then we realize this parking lot was just for first or second time attendees. I mean, this parking lot is bigger. I'm from Loma Linda. It's, it was bigger than like, like the university church's parking lot and this was just for first and second time attendees. In other words, they were expecting to have 5,000 plus first and second time visitors going to this church that seats 40,000 people or 30,000 or whatever it is. It was just something crazy. Everything is changing. Our church is changing. People are changing. What they're interested in changing. Social media is changing. And if we don't have a growth mindset and if we don't innovate, our church is going to die. We see that. Our schools are going to die. Adventist schools are closing. Why do we need to innovate? As we said, things are changing. What, why also do we need to innovate? Well, we need to innovate specifically because culture has and will change, and the church is changing as well. Why do we need to innovate? Because the church is no longer the language of the people. Did you know that back in the days, 30s, 40s, 50s, everything revolved around church? Language revolved around church. What people talked about in weekends dominated church, and this was just America. Music dominated church. Things have changed. We've become more of a secular country, and it's so much difficult to reach these secular minds. Why do we need to innovate? In everything that we do, we have to develop competencies. So what exactly is innovation? Or let me ask another que question. What is the difference between innovation and creativity? Have you ever wondered that? What is the difference with innovation and creativity? Well, innovation is a system. Innovation is not creativity. While innovative people are often creative, innovation is the process of managing the implementation of the creative process as it is applied to specific goals. Creativity is often an event. Innovation is a system. It has to be a system. And if we don't innovate, if we don't do something, things are going to change. Your business will die. Your ministry will die. Your church will die. We have to think innovatively. Apple is doing this. Think about that. What did Apple start out as? Does anyone know what it started out as? What did it first sell? Computers. 
Did you know that most Apple products are not computers now? The number one thing that they sell is not the iPhone, it's streaming services. Did you get that? iCloud and uh, Apple Music. That stuff is, reaches more people now than, than the iPhone. Apple understands innovation. Imagine they went from a computer, then they went from a computer and they said, well, let's now have some other products. And wait, this, this computer company is going to make a MP3 player called an iPod? That was probably one of the biggest shifts in thinking. Then from an iPod, they're going to go, and this was huge, to a phone. I remember being a loyal Motorola person, I think, or was it Nokia person? I think I had one of those Nokia 8890s. I don't know if you remember those phones. You had like, it was like, you could basically call people and play Snake. I think that was the only thing that you could do on those Nokias. So it was a brick phone. You know, it wasn't even worth texting. It hurt your fingers too much and everything. It was just awful phones, right? And I remember when Apple announced that they were going to introduce the iPhone. And I'm like, <laughs> who's going to buy? A computer company is going to sell a phone. Who's going to buy that? That's ridiculous. Everyone, you know, they're Nokia users, Motorola users. What has happened to those companies now? Does anyone have a Nokia phone here or a Motorola phone, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's gone from basically from those companies to now Apple and Samsung. That's basically it, if you think about it. They understood that they had to change. They have to have a paradigm shift. They came up with a phone, and everyone was laughing at that. And now from a phone, they're going into streaming services. And it's crazy because they understand things. The same thing with Google. The same thing with Amazon. What did Amazon start off with? They sold one thing and that was books, that was it. Basically college textbooks is kind of how they started. Then after that they started selling other things and you know Amazon was a small company, they were tiny. Barnes and Noble was the big one. But Amazon, they shifted. They went from just selling books to selling everything. Buying Whole Foods. I mean it's incre incredible. That's innovation. And the thing is, we have to think different. To, to take from the Apple slogan, you have to think different if you want to survive, especially in something that is changing so rapidly. Before, from the 1950s to 2000, you could get away with a pretty stable life with things not changing too much. Basically, it's like the television changing from a large tube to something that it's more streamlined. Then you have a big screen. You know, you went from, you know, the biggest things in 50 years from 1950 to 2000 was the Walkman, you know? That was it. We went from the record player to the Walkman. Now we're talking like seismic changes happening every five years. Companies that were the biggest company to now being extinct within five to seven years. Anyone remember MySpace? That was the biggest social media, uh, media company before. Anyone still has a MySpace account? Probably not. Oh, my wife does. Okay. <laughs> Things are changing quickly and rapidly, and as a church, as a ministry, we also have to understand these things. We can't miss out on, on, um, on innovation. But here's the problem. When we think about innovation, there's something called disrupting technology that happens. Now, for those of you who don't know what disrupting technology, I'm going to explain that. Okay? So, here's a popular case study. Blockbuster. There is still one Blockbuster in America. 
only one, I believe it was in Oregon. I believe it's in Oregon. I think it was a small town. And they kind of pride themselves that they're the only blockbuster in the world. Uh, they, every other blockbuster has closed. So here's what's called a, uh, we call it disruptors in business. So does anyone remember Kodak? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you remember Kodak, right? So Kodak used to make what? No, no, not so much cameras. There was something a film. They had film. You remember that? The gold film roll and everything. They, yeah, they had a few cameras, but their 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 major business was film. Now you remember that you took how many shots you get? Do you remember? 24, and if you paid extra, you could get 36 shots, right? Now back in those days, it wouldn't be like, oh, let's take five shots. No, you want to get this one shot and you want to get it right because you only have 24 shots. Yeah. Then what would happen is you would take that film out, you know, you would, some of you, if you had the old cameras, you actually had to wind the film, right? You actually had to wind the film. Then it became a little roll and with that roll you had to drop it off at Costco or somewhere else and then you had to wait a couple of days and then once a couple of days you came, you got the film or, and it became photos, four by sixes, and you looked and you realized, wow, seven of these I need to throw away anyways because I accidentally took a couple in my pocket. This one is blurry. Remember those days, right? So Kodak had an opportunity to be the leading digital camera company in the world. But they didn't do it. Does anyone know why? Because it would be a disruptor. What would happen if they came up with the digital camera? What would it take away from? The film. That's what, and so they're like, no, 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 we can't do this. If we go into the digital camera business, people won't buy film. If they don't buy film, we won't exist. Well, guess what happened? <laughs> don't exist anyways, right? That's what can happen. I want you to understand this. So there's often going to be thoughts or things that come into your ministry or your business opportunities and you have to either embrace it or you're like, okay, if I don't take on this new challenge, if we don't shift, it could make us obsolete. And that's the same thing when it comes to Blockbuster. What happened is the uh, Netflix came out and uh, they came and did a presentation for Blockbuster in 2000. They showed, hey, we have an idea. We can actually stream videos. In fact, before Netflix, actually, there was Redbox. And you'd actually put it in the vending machine. You can get it. And it was kind of on a trust system or whatever it was. Netflix had some sort of business model like that. And Blockbuster laughed at them and said, you're crazy. We're never going to buy into this. And part of the reason why they didn't want to buy into it was what? It was a disruptor. If people stream movies... They won't rent movies or buy movies. If they don't rent or buy movies, what's going to happen? We'll cease to exist. And so that's what happens. And so we have to constantly be thinking about how we can be innovative. Now remember, we as a ministry or a business, you have to think about, number one, what is our message? Number two, what is your culture? And number three, what is the delivery? In order for you to be successful in business or ministry, you have to think three things. What is our message? What is our culture? But more importantly, how are we delivering it? Those are the key things that we need to understand. Now what happens with every business 
is that it goes through a set a, a cycle. So here is the life cycle of every business. What happens is you start, and then as you start, it begins to die or go down. But if you catch it in time, you can actually have right here, if you have innovation right here, if you innovate, you can have an up cycle. So what Apple has done is they created the computer and then they realized people weren't buying computers. It was going down. They innovated and they said, let's create an iPod. Then it went up on the up cycle. And then the, the iPhone, or excuse me, the iPod was dying. How many of you still buy MP3 players? No one, right? That was dying. And then they said, let's now create a smartphone. And then they continue to go up. The reason why Apple is so valuable is because of innovation. They catch their products on the down cycle, innovate, and reinvent itself. They're not scared of failing. That's what's happening with the top companies, and I believe that's what needs to happen with our church. This is what needs to happen right here, is we have to figure out how can we be relevant? What can we do? This is the breakthrough in innovation. This point right here, when you see the downtrend. And that's why I think we need to think differently. There was a time when we used to get a ton of people to our evangelistic series. By the way, I'm an evangelist. I love evangelism. I was brought uh, to a deeper walk with God through a revelation series in 2002 and 2003. I learned this precious truths of Adventism, and it made me uh, want to live my life for God, made me want to do evangelistic series for God. In 2010, we did a bunch of evangelism. We had great results. But we've been doing evangelism for the last almost 10 years, and we realize that it's increasingly difficult to get people through the doors. And that's, again, the reason for innovation. We have to think different. How can we still get people to come to church? Those are things we have to ask. Get the real questions down. I'm going to skip through this slide right here. And for the sake of time, we have to have new focus. All right, oh, here's what I wanted to show you right here. So when it comes to innovation, there are what we call the innovators. So they innovate something. Think about it. Just think about the iPhone, since we all know that. Steve Jobs innovated the iPhone, and then there were people who were the early adopters. They bought the iPhone in the beginning, and some of you are like, I'm not going to buy that. <laughs> right? You're just like, no, 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 no. That's not for me. I like my Nokia. I like my Motorola. I like my flip phone. Right? So, but there were some people who immediately wanted the iPhone. They got the first iPhone, or the second iPhone, or the third iPhone. Then we have the early majorities. Maybe they bought the iPhone 4. Let's just say that you bought the iPhone 4, or the iPhone 3, or something that you had you were in the early majority. Then you have the late majority. Those are the people who maybe got the iPhone 6 or the iPhone 7 or now the iPhone 7 Plus or now the iPhone 10. And then we have the laggards. Those of you who still have Samsungs, right? Like that's the lag. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the point of the matter is in everything you have when you innovate the early adopters, the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards, some people come up with great ideas, but because they don't go from early adopters to early majority, it doesn't, it doesn't do well. That's what happens. What we've realized every time, someone has a great idea. Some people, did you know that before Facebook, there were other social media platforms? There were a lot of other ones, like MySpace, there was Friendster, I believe, there was, I think there was one called High Five. I mean, there were like all sorts of different platforms. But what happened was, if it doesn't go from early adopters to early majority to go right here, it's not going to catch on and go through this cycle. 
And so that's where we need to understand is how do we go from early adopters to early majority? If we figure this out, then you'll have a successful life cycle. All right, for the sake of time, because I need to end real soon here, I didn't realize the time to run through a bunch of these slides. Um, I like to say that right here, the clergy or lay members or ASI can be the influence. We can be the chasm that bridges between uh, early adopters and early majority. We can bring people in. By the way, this chasm we call is Moore's Gap. Um, let's see, there's a number of things for um, why. Okay, so let's go through this. So why innovation doesn't happen? We're gonna have to end here in the next couple of minutes. Why doesn't innovation happen? Number one is oftentimes we have a culture of punishment. If you don't succeed, you'll be punished. If you don't succeed, you'll be fired. If this doesn't do well, budgets are taken away. So if you have a culture of punishment, it's gonna be hard to innovate. You see, you go to these tech companies, and many of them, they have a, a, this idea of, no, we want you to think different. It's okay to fail because we want to learn. In other words, we know that there's going to be 10 failures for every success. And so the reason why innovation doesn't happen in the church, the reason why innovation doesn't happen in our ministries is because we have a culture of punishment. It's like if you try an evangelistic series or if you try something and it fails, you'll be like, well, we tried that last time and you know, it didn't work and because it didn't work, we're not going to give you evangelism money. Wow. We're not going to do this. That's a culture of punishment versus it would be nice if a church or a conference has the idea of, you know what, we're going to give $100,000 to evangelism or whatever it is. Man, let's just make it a million. A million dollars to evangelism every single few quarters or year and we don't care if it, if it fails because we're going to find the thing that succeeds. And if we have that type of mindset, we're going to figure it out. Some kid's going to come up with something that's like, we figured a way to get people into the church. The reason why innovation also doesn't happen is because we think short-term. We seem to focus on short-term results. We did an evangelistic series last year, and praise God, it brought 10 people, 20 people to God's church. We're very thankful for that. Now let's not do it for another 10 years, right? Like, that's how we think. We just think short-term. And then also isolation. People in different ministries fail to communicate. So as the church, we're isolated. We think short term and we have a culture of punishment. We also, re I've realized in the Adventist church, we have a lack of data. We don't track things. We don't track people who come to our church. We don't track uh, people who are dissatisfied with potluck food. I mean, we don't track things. And also we have this leadership-focused culture. It's like, well, whatever the pastor does, you know. Oh, we don't want to do anything right now. We'll just wait for the pastor to come in. We're in transition right now. It's as if the pastor is the only one with good ideas, and that's why innovation doesn't happen. We forgot that the church, the church membership, is the one that should be doing the primary work, the legwork. And then we have this idea that the culture of perfection, everything has to be right the first time. I wanted to end with this because I talked about this and I wish I could talk about more but I have, uh, have to get going and, and I'm sure we, we have lunch. Don't want to mess with that one, right? Um, failure produces success. I didn't know this till just a couple months ago but Heinz 57 is called that because it took 57 times for them to get that recipe. That's why it's called Heinz 57. It should have been like, it could have been Heinz 1 if they got it right the first time. If they tried, oh wow, this tastes great, right? But it's called Heinz 57 because it took 57 times to get that ketchup recipe. WD-40, the same thing. 
It took 40 times to get the, oh wow, now we can actually lubricate bike pedals in our bike chain. That companies had a culture of, it's okay to fail, as long as you fail forward. And I think in order for us to be successful in our church, in our ministries, we need to number one, have a growth mindset, and number two, embrace innovation. And that might be hard to hear at ASI and in, you know, sometimes church ministries when things are big. That's really, if we look at the case studies from other businesses, how they got to where they're at. So I hope this challenges you of how you can personally have a growth mindset. But number two, think innovatively in your church, in your ministry, or in your business. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share a few things on my mind. I thank you, Lord, that we can learn from the Bible and from the spirit of prophecy. And it's just sad that we see secular tech companies following the Bible and spirit of prophecy closer than us. They're willing to think different. They're willing to have a growth mindset. They're willing to believe that things are possible. And here we serve this great God, but we believe small things are possible. I pray that you would change our mindsets and change our thinking so that we can wrap this work up and we can go home. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.